Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I'm your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Wild Coker. How you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm so happy to be here. Are you? Yes. Don't fake it. Well, so should I go to sleep instead? Yeah, no, go to sleep. We're, I'm actually really <laughs> excited about this episode. We have been looking forward to it. It's it's something a little different. This is going to be a fun one. This is the sort of end of summer field trip idea that we've been brainstorming for the yes. last month or so. First of all, I should say it's episode 113 of The Long Finish. Episode 113, I'm hoping everyone's having a great end of summer. Congrats to all the parents that have put their kids back in school. And congrats to those parents who have just survived the summer. Congratulations. You did it. You made it to August. You know, some I remember growing up, I started the Tuesday after Labor Day. Wow. That's when we started school. There were some reports of your friend, yeah, Laura, they, starting school what, in July. Yeah, 31st. I heard uh, from a friend today or a, a person I played golf with who's now a friend that Las Vegas school started in July. I hope the air conditioning is working at these yeah, schools. Or maybe it's more year round, you know, like maybe, maybe they take more fall breaks and a longer winter break or something. Well, I don't know. Yeah. So like, as I said, congrats to all the parents that have put their kids back in school. We do that next week and you and I will be really celebrating. We're powering through right now. We're powering through. But mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. Wow. I said it the other day. There were some moms over here. Our kids were playing together. And I go, what, what's that song? That Christmas song? And they just started singing it right away. And they knew it. Must be playing in their heads, too. Absolutely. I, I remember I asked one of our neighbors if they were ready to have the kids go back to school. And it was like an immediate, like, I cannot wait to get the kids back in school. There's... So many things to love about summer and great, crazy joys and fun times together. But it will be nice for a breather. It's been a really fun summer. We've done a lot of great stuff. Trip to Oxnard. Trip back to Virginia, which was a blast. Got some camps for the kids. We got a lot of time with them. Yeah, they've had a lot of time at home to wander around, which is the biggest thing that I want to give them. That free time. Our seven-year-old starts second grade in a week and then our... Four-year-old starts TK, and our two-year-old will be going to preschool three days a week. Very nervous for the four-year-old and the two-year-old. That's going to be some tough transition time for the parents over here, so we'll be drinking some wine oh, yeah. to get through those days. And folks, just to get into the theme of this episode, we know that at Esther's, we bring in small producers. Sometimes these wines are hard to find. One of the comments we get in our Instagram DMs is, how can we find your wines? So we decided to go on an adventure and find wines in your neck of the woods. It's called Total Wine. So Catherine and I have taken two trips to Total Wine. One in Redondo Beach, California. One in Fredericksburg, Virginia to look around Total Wine, see how Total Wine is set up, talk about our experience shopping at Total Wine, talk to an expert at Total Wine. Just went the full Total Wine. Have I said Total Wine enough? I feel like I've said it enough about Total Wine. We got it. So we're talking about our trip to Total Wine tonight, and we found a wine that was in both stores that you can go get today. So, Catherine, what are we drinking tonight? Yes, this wine is in both stores, so coast to coast. This is the Tenuta di Raniere Chianti Classico Vintage 2020. This is from Italy. 
This is from Italy. This is from Italy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, it's Chianti Classico. I mean, hello, that's the exact kind of thing you're going to be shopping for at, at Total Wine. We were thinking it's such a giant store. There is great signage. There are some people there. We met one who are incredibly knowledgeable, but a lot of people are going to be shopping for regions that they know and love. And one of the most loved regions is Chianti. Chianti Classico is the heart of Chianti in Tuscany, in Italy, the most popular region in Italy. And we felt like this was perfect. Also, some Total Wines have an organic section, some do not. But this wine is made with organic grapes. So we felt like that was a good step in our direction and a good place to start for us. How do we know that? It says it right on the label. Exactly. All right, let's just get right into it, though. Let's go ahead and talk about, I'm going to give a little bit of a history via a little known thing called Wikipedia Woo-hoo. about Total Wine. Then I think we should talk about our experience shopping at Total Wine and why it's similar to Esther's or different from Esther's. And then maybe we talk about the wine last, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So just a brief history on Total Wine. Some of this we learned in store and some of this I did some research on, but you know, Wikipedia is always correct. So I'm just going to give you the facts, ma'am, from Wikipedia. Please. Total Wine. It's a business owned by two brothers. Their names are David and Robert Trone. Company is headquartered in Bethesda, Maryland. I believe it started in Delaware as yeah. a different company. Yeah, it was like the tri-state area. That's right. Mm-hmm. And they tried to open in, in Delaware, some in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania became very hard. You know, as most people know, there's a liquor and alcohol vary from state to state. Yeah, the laws and, and, and what you're allowed to sell and what days and where and shipping and importing vary so greatly from state to state. And Pennsylvania is a very challenging state to get wine into. So they decided to migrate to other states and oftentimes now are growing to over 250 stores. And they look at, they try to seek a lot of states where they can also hold liquor. That seems to be a golden goose. Which is like California, Texas. Texas is a big one. Yeah. Uh, the gentleman we were speaking with, uh, the specialist, Daniel Shaibunko at the Total Wine in Fredericksburg, who was fantastic. He was saying that that's really where the bread and butter is. You know, that is what keeps him in business, the spirits. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, you look in, in California, you know, you can't do this in Virginia buy liquor in grocery stores but in california you can buy them at cvs's you can buy them at uh, which is a pharmacy pharmacy you can buy them at vons pavilions ralph's whole foods even i mean you can buy liquor anywhere you can't do that in virginia so it varies from state to state Uh, i did learn that texas has the most total wines with 38 california has 37 wow and it goes all the way down to new jersey with six there are 29 states that don't have total wine. So mm. I'm, I'm really sorry for those 29 states. You don't have the opportunity to go into total wine in your state. Wow. But it is America's largest retailer for wine. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty big deal. Like when we talk about wine, most people have heard of this. Now, some people in California go to BevMo. That's another spot, bigger retailer where you can find wine. Some people buy wine at Costco. We've talked about that because they have a lot of options there. 
And now more and more grocery stores are expanding beyond the Robert Mondavi and Barefoot Wine selections. They're expanding. Lots of grocery stores because there's more wine being drunk now than ever. I mean, it's crazy. There's so much. But Total Wine is still the largest. Now, I do want to say that each Total Wine store carries approximately 8,000 different wines from around the world. It's a lot of wines. Yeah. I mean, and it feels like that when that's, you go in there. And that's exactly what I was going to get to in a second. We'll talk about our experience. But it, you feel how many wines there are in the store immediately because they're everywhere. And maybe that is a big part of the marketing appeal. You know, just the quantity. You know, it's, you're going in there. It's not a small shop. It feels like a grocery store for wine. It feels like whatever you want, they would have it. And it's not like a small wine sh- store where you might have a small basket or something. Like there are big shopping carts at Total Wine. You're meant to <laughs> to buy a lot. Now it does say as of 2019, it's the company's hope to have over $3 billion in revenue amongst the 250 stores. It's a lot of wine being sold. Oof, Yeah. So there's the general layout of what's happening at uh, Total Wine. Now, I will say, in doing our research and talking to people, they try to do things that a lot of these big box or maybe online retailers do, like Amazon and stuff. They try to basically buy wine in bulk at lower prices and then sell them at some of a discount. But the margin is so huge because of the amount of wine that they buy, they're able to really profit off of these companies that they have these deals with exactly they can make a commitment as a company because they're a nationwide retailer to buy so many pallets of a wine that that they just get a price that no one else can get i you've read this about walmart you know and why the prices of milk are going up you know it's it's not uncommon but that that's something that they can do and they can get exclusive deals direct from the winery because of this a lot of times because they're so big they're able to cut out the distributor. They're able to be their own importer, bring the wine just for Total Wine. Now you might see it at other spots. Those people might be paying the middleman or maybe they have a direct import too. But that's pretty, pretty remarkable that they're able to do that. And that's why they can offer the prices that they do because they're so big. Makes sense. Does that feel like a good introduction on Total Wine? That's the basics. That is just on paper. I mean, the main thing is they're selling a lot of wine so, to a lot of American so, people, which, in theory, we love. Definitely, we love people getting in, you know getting to know more wines. People getting curious, people having access to wine from many different regions. This is good. Now, we also subscribe to the idea that we believe in sustainable, well-made wines, knowing what you put in your body, and that could feel like it could get lost in total wine because there's so many wines. It's really important. Let's go ahead and transition into the shopping experience that we had because we went to Redondo Beach first, then we went to Fredericksburg, Virginia, then I went back to Redondo to buy the wine knowing that we had the same wa- some of the same wines in both stores. And just speaking for myself, the place is huge. And if you feel like they do a good job of signage, and this is a funny, really funny an- anecdote because in the early days of Esther's, there was a lot of internal not dis- discussions, I'll say, between uh, Josh Loeb, Catherine, myself, the partnerships about talking about how much signage to put into Esther's. 
there are some debates on that. But Total Wine goes out and says, we, you know, we know the store is huge. It's intimidating. There's not enough staff here to service all, every customer, so we're just going to put a lot of signage out there. I think it's really helpful. I think the signage is, signage is really helpful. The bigger regions, they have staff picks. They have descriptions of all the wines. Now, I'm not sure I, I want to put up those subscriptions because I don't always align with James Suckling, the top wine critic, points and all that. But Total Wine aligns with that and they put up consistent descriptions. They also have maps up so you can see, oh, where's Provence? You know, you can look and see, oh, it's down there in southern France. You know, you might not know that. They have maps with the regions. They have smaller region. They have countries and they have regions within the countries and then they just have sections based on varietal because that is how some people shop they just want to buy Sauvignon Blanc they just want to buy Chardonnay and Chardonnay is the biggest selling section at the Fredericksburg Total Wine it's not even close I mean Chardonnay is a huge it's the store it's the store so we walk in we take a look around. I mean, you're able to walk around and kind of quickly understand, due to the signage, you know, where you're headed, what you're getting into, but there's so many wines. You know, it's, it's a very intimidating experience, frankly. And we, when we talked to Daniel, the expert in Fredericksburg, who we thought was excellent, you know, he gave the same advice that we talk about on this show all the time. I mean, the first thing he said was, talk to somebody. That, that was the basic knowledge that you know, it's hard, it's hard to find maybe so many people in Total Wine, but yeah, if you, the first thing is talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. He said, everyone that works here loves wine, is passionate about wine. Not everyone has the depth of knowledge that I do. He's the specialist. He does a lot of education for the store. He's worked for the store for nine or 10 years, but everyone has a lot of knowledge. They do tastings regularly. They're learning about regions. They're learning about grape varietals. They're learning about tasting and they're learning about selling. So everyone that works there has a lot of skills. And every store that we went in had quite a bit of staff. It did not seem like they were understaffed. So that was a bonus. The other thing he said is don't be afraid to talk about what you like. Anything, any words we can interpret, we can go with. Or talk about what you don't like. We can go with that. Pictures, always great. But let's start with red or white. And let's start with dry or sweet. And let's go from there. I mean, that's basically what he said. And then he also said, look at the signage. You know, if you know a region you like, if you know a grape varietal you like, you're going to find that. Which was great to hear from him. Now, the difference between us is that I don't want to shop based on a grape varietal. I want to shop based on a producer and why wine is special. And so I definitely needed to talk to someone. And I was so thankful to find this really knowledgeable, passionate person who wanted to go deep with us. We honestly had a fantastic conversation. And if I had just walked in a total wine and looked around, I, I told you the first time we went to the one in Redondo Beach, I was like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know if I could buy wine here. I don't know what to buy. Like, I see a few familiar wines, but like, I don't want to just buy any old Provence Rosé. I I want something special, you know? And so this guy was so great and helpful. We He took us to, in, in Virginia, he took us to the section of Virginia wines. Like, what's special here? What is... What are the grapes, the native grapes that grow? Oh, Norton is, you know, a native grape here. Why is it special? What's it like? You know, that those are questions I was able to ask. Which one of these wineries has one that you think is a great 
example of this grape. You know, so for even me and you, even the two of us, you know, who have had a lot of wines, he's ready to go there with us. That was really cool to me. Some of their general thoughts, you know, you and I talk about the popularity of orange wine. Out here, there was zero orange wine in Virginia. No, zero. Yep. And so... And no organic section. No organic section. I would say the, the organic section in Redondo was pretty small. I mean, if, we, if we're talking about 20 aisles of wine, it's probably a third of one aisle. Maybe, yeah. And there are some organic labeled, some vegan labeled wines scattered throughout the store, but I would say it's few and far between. I mean, this, it's, it's obviously not their first, their leading passion when it comes to selling wines at Total Wine. Well, and it sounds like what they're doing is really taking the input from the area where they're working. You know, like pe- maybe a lot of people in Southern California, do more people do care about organic wine. More people are adventurous in wine because we live close to wine. More people are, well, they live close to winemaking in Virginia too, but it's just, it's different. We're in, in, next to Los Angeles. It's a big city. There's a lot of imports you know, there's a different culture around wine. Not that different, but somewhat different. I don't know if their top wine is Chardonnay here. It is in, in Fredericksburg. But to see that, you know, they have all these hundred, I don't know how many stores, whatever you say. 250. 250 stores. They have to be customized a little bit. Well, and also, like, it depends on what depends what sells there. It depends what they're able to sell there, too. It was a very interesting experience. To go to these stores because you and I see wine all the time, and you're still, you're saying a, a, a blind spot for you is knowing more bulk, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, more conventional, conventional wines. wines. To, for me, that's where it could be really helpful and useful for me to know what are these top wines? What is the wine everybody buys? Why? I'd like to taste it. I want to know about it. That, for me, that's a blind spot. That'd be a great. <laughs> experiment to do or you know if I had a list from from Danny and he could say okay yeah these are the top wines and, and hopefully you know it's just one of those things we talked about this he, he has a passion to talk about wines but he only gets he has no say in what wines come in to these stores too right he's not the buyer he's not the buyer that is corporate that's way up the ladder yeah, which I think is very interesting even though even though he may have an idea of what the clientele wants he doesn't have a say and what's coming in. Whereas you, you know, you buy things that you like, but you're also smart enough to know, oh, people are asking for this all the time. Let's get some of this in. Well, I mean, look at their goal. They have 200 something stores. They're America's largest retailer. Their goal is to run a successful business and they're doing they're that. They're doing it. Yep. They are doing that. Their goal is not to champion the small producer. No. Their, their goal is not to curate and to have this curated selection, the goal is probably to to run a great business. I did see Frog's Leap in Virginia, which is a winery that you and I visited yeah. many moons ago. Also organic, also right organic. in the heart of Napa. Wasn't right. labeled as organic in Fredericksburg. This wasn't labeled as organic. I mean, you know, there is that old thinking that really was, you know, 10... 15, 20 years ago, that organic wine was bad because anyone marketing their, their, their wine as organic or had it in a, you know, health food store, those wines were terrible. People want quality first. And that's been, that those old ways of thinking have been stripping away, I think, in big wine drinking cities like 
New York, LA, these big cities where there's a lot of access. But in smaller areas, that, that still holds true. You know, people still think that. So let's talk about this wine now and how this wine sort of represents total wine. I think once you describe what this wine is, you'll kind of see everyone out there will understand and hear how this sort of represents the ethos of total wine. Yes, so this is the Tenuta di Riniere, that's the producer, in Chianti Classico, that's in the heart of Tuscany, in Italy, vintage 2020. Now, Tenuta di Riniere is, the estate is the producer, but it's owned by Bacci, B-A-C-C-I. Marco Bacci is a very influential, powerful winemaker in Tuscany, and he has three estates, so this is one of them. Had you heard of Bacci before? I had not. I Well, actually, I've tasted these wines before, and I had heard of Bocce before, but I, hadn't, I didn't do all the research on him when I heard about him before. And now I know a lot more about him, mm-hmm. which was really fun for tonight. Also on this label, there is not even, it's not a sticker, but it's like branded on the label, James Suckling 92 points wine ratings. So you know these folks are all about the points. So I pick Chianti. I, because I had tasted this wine before, and I knew that it would be delivering perfect example of what you want. When you're looking for Chianti, you are looking for high acid, medium-ish body, medium, medium plus tannins. You get that red fruit, dried herbs, that balsamic vinegar thing, little smoke, little gaminess. I knew this wine was textbook for that. And it is. And it also has that oaky flavor that a lot of American palates love. It's 14% alcohol. It's not a light wine. And it is 100% Sangiovese. So it is truly a Tuscan wine. So I thought this would be a great example because you're in Total Wine. You're looking for a version of Chianti Classico. This is delivering what you want. There's no surprises here. This is delivering the textbook Chianti Classico. Well done. So we have that. And and the other reason I wanted to pick this, it's organic, so that's cool. And it's like, it was like 20 bucks. Great price. Like a classic wine that hits all the marks that you expect for 20 bucks. Organically made with organic grapes, you can find nationwide. This is doing the thing that we wanted to do. Everyone can find this wine. I will also say we were trying to decide between the 2020 and the 2019, which is maybe it was Reserva. Right. And that was a few dollars more expensive. But you wanted the 2020 because we like the $20 price point. But also, you think the 2020 year is excellent. Well, I think the 2020 year is ready to rank, drink now. They're rich. They're supple wines. Like, they're going to deliver right away. And the Reserva, I think you could hold on to a little bit more. But I think the Chianti Classico is perfect for right now. Now... We'll get into the specifics of Chianti on another episode. There's just too much. Yeah, I want to do that. In such an important region. But let me tell you a little bit about Marco Bocci. I just want him to go by Bocci. I think Bocci... Like, Bocci is a, an awesome name. It's also like a James Bond killer last name. Like, oh no. Who's that? Who's at the door? All the all the photographs of him look like that, except there's a dog in all of them. Well, he's, of course, Bocce has a killer a dog. You know, is also a killer dog. The dog's name is Baba, though. That's not very killer. I don't know. I think Baba's it's pretty cute, though. Baba, sick. <laughs> 
So, um, so Marco Bocci, he's from Florence. He was not born into winemaking. His parents actually had a jeans company. I was in just gonna guess that he was an apparel. Yes, a hundred percent. I just see, is he like? Is he? Does he have a bald head? I don't know. I don't think he. I think does. he has bald head, sunglasses. No, he has nice hair. Oh, he has, actually, oh, he has excellent hair. hair. Okay, pretty good hair. <laughs> but I was gonna guess that he was in fashion. I just knew it. No. But with a name like Bocci. I know it seems like and it. Baba. <laughs> Feels like fashion. Well, anyway. it's also, you know, these are people who make money in Florence. It seems right, you know. Anyway, he took over the family business. He totally, like, increased the business. It did. The growth was insane under him, and he sold the company in 1998. Mom, Dad, I'm selling so many jeans. Yeah, I mean, basically. Acid wash, <laughs> mom cut. We're so rich. That's what it was. Meanwhile, his his favorite hobby was making wine on the side, right? So he decides, no, you know, I want to get into wine. And he bought Riniere, this estate that this wine is from, in 1999. And he repa- he replanted all of it. He ripped up every single thing. It was only 22 hectares, not very big. The winery itself is in Montalcino, but this is from the southern part of Chianti Classico. So Chianti Classico is between Florence and Siena. Florence to the north, Siena to the south. And then Montalcino is south of that. Just a little geography. An area you and I have been to and really love. Magical. So he buys this and he rips up everything. In 10 years, he finally has Brunello from the from the uh, vineyards that are in Montalcino. So he makes some Chianti, some Chianti Reserva, and he makes also Brunello from the Raniere estate. So it's like different vineyards connected to this estate. Now, he also has two other estates. One of them is called Terre de Talamo, which is on the seaside area of Tuscany near Maremma. And he he's very famous there because... That is where he puts wine in cages underwater to age in the Mediterranean off the shore of Marema. I'm not sure if you've heard of this in stories in, you know, journalism. But yeah, it's pretty famous that he's doing this. Now, um, does anyone else do this? Yes, there are a few other folks that do it. Mostly, I think, liquor. Um, there's. I was reading about some gin and some scotch people that are doing this. So like Davy Jones's locker was just like a liquor locker. So yes. So what he's got these big. You can see it online. You can. Big, I, I want to know why. Do you know why? Well, yes. I'm going to. You're going to tell me why. That. I can't wait to hear it. Yes. So this podcast is getting really good right I now. Told Thank you, you I to Bocci. Tell you this. <laughs> this is like the selling point. Yeah. He actually talks about how America is one of the hardest places to sell wine because people change jobs so frequently. You know, psalms and managers. But once he says, "Oh yeah, I'm the guy who ages wine of the water," like, "Oh yeah," and then they remember and they buy the wine. So. Um, <laughs> What happens is that he was looking for an underground cob, you know, or some place that could age the wine. This is after, you know, it's gone through fermentation, after it's settled and aged in barrel, then it's put into bottle and it's got to age in bottle before release. So he puts the bottles in these cages and it's sent down about 114 feet. The pressure is perfect for maturing is what he says. It's a constant temperature. 
And there are like these slight currents, which are actually great for the aging of wine. Now he dives down himself, Bachi dives down once a month to check on them. And I saw a picture of him and Baba, his Dotson. Dachshund? 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 Yeah, Dachshund. <laughs> oh, help us. Oh, no. <laughs> God. Dotson's uh, like a sp- <laughs> car from the 70s. Well, anyway, they're in a boat together. He go Baba, the dog, goes out to sea with Bachi. And um, they go down once a month to check on them. Because barnacles accumulate on the bottles. So when they pick them, you know, when they pull them back out of the water after a year, they got to scrape them off. Now, okay, now, I want the podcast <laughs> to catch my... We need to be video podcast so I can see my face. Like, what is happening? Okay, but I. this is also sort of a sidebar because it's not for this wine. Okay. It's for oh, his it's other just, winery. general entertainment. I, I, but it is... When you think when someone says to you Mari, Marco Bacci, you're gonna be like, oh, the underwater wine, underwater wine guy. So that's why I'm telling you all this. It is one of his claims to fame. Now he is a extremely. Are there any jeans underwater? <laughs> yeah, vintage yeah, jeans. Yeah. <laughs> he is an extremely good businessman, uh, as apparently. he was with the jeans. Yeah. He sells 100,000 cases of wine every year to the U.S. He sells 40,000 cases to Europe. He's also in Singapore, in Australia, in other markets as well. Now, just to frame that, 100,000 cases to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Let's say there was a small producer that you work with at Esther's. How many cases are they bringing in? A small producer? I mean, some of the producers that I work with the small ones could be like 5,000 cases, total production. So so, I, so, so small producers are making 5,000 cases. He's bringing 100,000 cases just, just to, to the, the U.S. US. Yeah. Just to frame it. Yeah. Now, I would say some people argue what's small. Is it 15,000 cases or less? Is it 25,000 cases for less? But it's not 100,000. It's not 100,000, which is why I, I, I wouldn't bring the wine in testers because I work with small production wines. But... I'm just saying that to explain how much wine they have. Are all 100,000 cases just going to the U.S. underwater? No. It's okay. only one of the I was wineries. Gonna, I was like, it's filling an ocean. No, that's one okay. of the wineries. He's got three, remember, three. He's got six vineyards in Tuscany to across these, these different brands. It's $15 million a year in sales. I mean, this is a lot. It's a ton. Yeah. I think he's doing better than Total Wine. Yeah, he doesn't need Total Wine. <laughs> but Listen, if Bocce wanted to open but, up at Century City Mall and it was just like wine from underwater and jeans. With, with the barnacles? Yeah. I mean, but I'm, listen, I'm in. in 2020, he won first place for Wine of the Year at Total Wine. He, This is America's largest retailer. They have a very, very good relationship. I know. I don't know. I don't think, but I don't know if they sell the underwater wine. The underwater wine being from Terre di Talamo. But there's a place called, it's called Landini Brothers. And it's in Alexandria, Virginia. And they sell, they sell that uh, underwater wine. And mom, dad, <laughs> I want you to drive to Alexandria. What, what was, what's it called? Landini, Landini Brothers. Brothers. Please go to Landini Brothers and ask for the barnacle wine. Yeah. Save a bottle. Uh, yeah. 
anyway, I was just reading all this. And now I had read a New York Times article about the people aging wine underwater. And I thought, oh, t- I don't I don't have time for that. And then tonight I was like, wow, I'm really into this. Anyway. Doesn't that feel like a lot of, I mean, labor? Like he's taking a, his dog out to sea and he's swimming around. It just feels like a lot of work. I, I, it must be worth it because the guy is making $15 million a year. Yeah. Let's just say, you know, what we're talking about tonight is a different side of wine than what we usually talk about. And this is really hitting on the business of wine, making a really big business, a really successful financial business out of wine. And we don't talk a lot about wineries that do that. Esther's <laughs> is not a company that does that. You know, we want we want to be a sustainable, a financially stable and successful company, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to create a really special place and a curated experience for our customers and our community. But wine is a business. And when you see those big wineries that you see in every single grocery store or decoy or barefoot or mondavi like there's business there that's a churn and burn that's a money maker so this is interesting just to see and talk about this side of wine i don't know much about decoy but you mentioned it and it's like that feels like a, a winery then when we first started getting into wine was a wine it's, it seems like it's made a directional pivot towards making money a place it used to be a wine that maybe we would be into trying because it was on the smaller side and they've seemed to make a concerted effort to go out and become a profitable business. Well, it was part of Duckhorn and they had vineyards and they were a smaller company and then they expanded and then they got a second label to basically just buy up whatever and sell it under their second label. Yeah. And you just see it just it depends on who's the CEO, you know, like who's the head of the business and making those decisions. And that matters to me when I'm buying wine at Esther's because we do have a very specifically curated list. But I think when you go into Total Wine, like I said, you're not thinking so much about the producer and the whole history of this. You're thinking about what will end up in my glass? Is it going to taste? Is Will it have the markers of Chianti? And this does, and it will. This does. And I, I like the idea of how this this winemaker, his ethos are married to the idea of the Total Wine founders. It's like, how can we make money together? Because what they do is they buy, Total Wine buys this wine in bulk. They buy millions of dollars of this wine, and they drive that, the price point of the wine down at wholesale because they buy so much. Yep. So they're really working together. You're yeah, right. and so then... They sell it at whatever their the retail cost is, but because the price point they bought at is so low, their margin is quite large. Yep. So when you're thinking about that, you'll see a label. I think it's called Winery Direct at Total Wine. You know when it says Winery Direct, it's coming direct from the wine uh, makers. There's no middleman. There's no middleman. So they probably bought so much wine that they've priced the, the, the bottle of wine. Let's say it's a $20 bottle of wine. They might be buying that wine for $2. Or three dollars, yeah, four dollars, five dollars, whatever. Yeah, whatever it is. The margin is much bigger than the the margin that when you at Esther's buys wine from a middleman. Yeah, and we this is all we do know they buy direct, and we do know that they can negotiate the prices and and all that. But 
we have no idea what they buy the wine Do for. Do not know. That is not. <laughs> that was pure speculation. Yeah, exactly. Me. We have no idea. So um, it was free. No, it wasn't free. No. Bocce doesn't give wine away for free. No, no, no. We know that. How are you going to make $15 million Can't do it. And put wine in a cage under the sea. <laughs> Someone should be making a movie. When I get off of strike, of the WGA strike, I'm writing the biopic of uh, Bocce. I'm going to show you his picture. He looks pretty happy. His hair. His freaking great hair. And I, again, the wine label, as you said, has a stamp on the label showing the, the rankings, the points. Yes. It's basically hitting on all the things that people think they want to see when they buy wine. Right. And what are points? Points are given by a wine critic. Uh, James Suckling, former editor, wine enthusiast, is a very famous critic. And he gives points based on taste profile. Most of the time, he's tasting these wines as samples or out of barrel and giving them a set number of points. That has nothing to do with how the wine is grown. It has nothing to do with who the producer is. I, In the most ideal form, it's just a tasting of what the wine is. Now, certain people would argue that they would have relationships with a critic, yada, yada. Who knows? But it's not based on anything other than what's in the glass. And you have to know the critic. So James Suckling tends to like wines that have power that have richness and concentration. And so you know that when you're looking at that 92 points, that's the preference of that person who gave it those points. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's important to know almost the if you're more educated on the bias of the person giving the points, you can align with that. If you're into that stuff, maybe you'll follow along. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool if not if the peop- some people want to do away with the point system, but let's say there was a grading system, but you didn't just have the James Sucklings of the world who were the editors of Mind Enthusiast. You had, you know, 10 different people that you knew, like like book reviewers, you know, and you found one that you liked and you kept following, oh, yeah, this person's palette. That's basically what we've been saying for years. That's what it is. You go to a wine store, you meet someone, you have a connection you start to follow them. I mean, it's not so far from what we do, you know, on the podcast. Like, totally. we're trying to endorse these wines that we like. It's like a, it's like a version of Goodreads Exactly what it is. You mentioned the taste of this wine. Let's go ahead and talk about, uh, quickly, th- this wine itself. I will say, we opened this wine last night. We're taping it on Monday night here. We opened the wine for dinner on Sunday night. Had a maybe a half glass. And I think the wine needed some time to open up. To find its full expression, I think this wine has really find, found some more fruit tonight. I think it's much closer to what its full expression is as a Chianti. And, and I'm enjoying the wine. Yeah, I think it's delicious. Yeah. I, mean, I get all that ripe, bright cherry fruit. It's like overripe and just ripe at the same time. There's some plum in there as well, some strawberry. A lot of dried herbs and a dusty smokiness to this wine. And there is that little bit of wild game. So you have to assume you have to assume that this wine was in two stores. It's probably in more of the two hundred and fifty total wine stores, maybe all of them. So this is your chance. No more excuses about the small producer stuff. You wanna drink along with us tonight on this podcast as you hear it? Go to Total Wine, look for this wine. We'll post a picture on Instagram and drink this wine with us and hear what we talk about. Can we talk about some 
we'll, we'll do another episode on Chianti and do more on the history. Definitely. I'm excited to talk about that. But can we talk about some pairings for this particular wine, food pairings? I mean, we're talking pasta or anything in tomato sauce. Sangiovese and tomato sauce are just a match made in heaven. Spaghetti and meatballs, a delicious lasagna, any kind of... I don't know what this is, but Bistecca Florentina was something I was reading about, which sounded... What about um, a, a Datsun? A, 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 <laughs> don't a, even. <laughs> don't even. Sometimes. I don't know. I'm trying to read my handwriting going, who? Who is that? <laughs> Normally I ask where one can find this wine. I think we've covered that on this episode. Let's go to Total Wine and pick out this wine sourced with organic grapes what a great story about this winemaker this wine hopefully we enlightened you to total wine our experience what's going on at total wine i will say there is some signage that goes over maybe like what it looks like i can't remember the name can you remember this Catherine? what like looks like a a wine picks it it looks like wine like the staff picks yes it looks like staff picks and there Mm -hmm. are small signs that say staff picks but Mm -hmm. there are also bigger things that make you feel like oh these have been hand-picked by yeah the experts at the wine store but what that really is is just this is a small section where this total wine has relationships with the the wine directly yeah the, it might the be direct winery imports. direct yeah direct yeah. import something mm-hmm. like that yeah so just just know that and i say if you want to find wines that are approved by the wine specialists look for their pictures or the actual handwritten signs for those in the store and also talk to people there are a lot of people that work there ask to speak to the specialist and Get to know someone. Wherever you shop, just get to know someone. What a journey. Huh? Two trips to Total Wine. For you all out there, hope you enjoyed it. And hit us up on Instagram. DM us. Let us know about your experience to Total Wine. And let us know what you pick up. All right, let's get to the last portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. I will go first. Last week, I took a trip to see a friend perform a stand-up show. His name is Joe Prano. You may have found our podcast because he has a popular podcast called Dirty Sports, which I've been a guest host of for many years. Now, I've seen Joe. Joe's a very, very accomplished comedian. He's worked at uh, Just for Laughs in Montreal. I mean, he's been the top of the top. And I went to see him at a small venue in the West Side in Santa Monica, West Side Comedy Theater. And he's excellent. It was excellent to go watch these eight comedians perform stuff that they've written themselves. And I just want to shout out each one of them for, for for doing the work they do. It's not easy to be a stand-up comic. It's not easy to carve jokes. But I want to shout out Joe because Joe is a total professional. I think he did 15 minutes. The material, I think, has evolved since I've seen him perform maybe a year or two ago. And we had a nice conversation. I'm not a comedian. I'm not a stand-up comic. But just talking about the art of storytelling, the art of creating jokes, turning jokes, how to, how to let people in and let people figure out uh, oh, oh I, I watched you for 15 minutes. I feel like I know who you are as a person. You learn about their, their personalities through their sense of humor and the stories they tell. I was just really impressed. And I also, just as a joke writer on the page, being in the Writers Guild, interesting to watch what jokes work from comedians, what jokes don't work, trying to understand the joke math, why they don't. That one was excellent. This one maybe didn't work. Or It was kind of fun just to get up in person to watch people perform and execute and try things. And um, it, uh, I'm excited about getting back to my work because of having watched them. Whether it was su- su- always successful or not, I think people were trying stuff. It doesn't matter. 
but it was uh, it was really cool to see. So hopefully all of you are out there, wherever you are. I know they're stand-ups traveling the country. Go check them out. And know these people are really just working and trying stuff out. And it's, it's an art form that's not perfect. And that's really, really cool. But I want to shout out Joe Prano. Congratulations. I told you uh, in person. I tell you here. Very impressed with what you do. You did a great job. And um, excited to see what's next for you. Catherine, what do you have? Well, last week you had mentioned that I was reading my book on the airplane and I pretty much finished the whole thing, but I did have a about 10 more pages to go. Well, this book was fabulous. Dear Edward by Anne Napolitano. Now, I read this because I'm reading her newest book, Hello Beautiful, for a book club that I have coming up in a few weeks. And I thought, oh, I'll read the uh, another book by her first. Well, before I got into it, I didn't realize that this book was about a boy who is the sole survivor of a plane crash that kills 191 people. And of course, I was reading that on a plane. Um, Perfect. It was a little intense. But the book was heartbreaking and beautiful. And I cried many times in the best way. Like when you've lost every single thing in your life, what do you have? Who do you meet? Who are you? It it was just asking a lot of questions through the eyes of a child, but really just a beautiful book and very well written. I enjoyed this so much and I can't wait to read her next book. So if you're ready, if you're ready to cry a little bit, read Dear Edward by Anne. Napolitano. Does Anne Napolitano know Bocce? I think it's his cousin. <laughs> no, she lives in Brooklyn with her two boys. Uh-oh. Actually, one of the cutest, one of the most special things about the book was the relationship between the the boy had a brother who he was extremely close with that passed away in the plane, plane crash. crash, and the memories. And the flashbacks of the the relationship between the two was incredibly special and how the survivor boy carried that on. And she said, I read something by her uh, interview where she talks a lot that was inspired by her two boys because she's a mom of two boys. Wow. Yeah, it was really neat to read that. All right, that's it. That's it for episode 113 of The Long Finish. Episode 113 is in the books. Thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to the show, listening to us talk about our adventures in Total Wine. We should have some more fun adventures coming up in the weeks to come, so stay tuned for that. Catherine, where can they find you and The Long Finish on social media? You can find me on Instagram at Catherine Wild Coker or The Long Finish there too, at The Long Finish. You can find me at Tug Coker on Twitter and Instagram. Congrats again, as I mentioned off the top, to all the parents that have kids back in school, everyone else, all the other parents out there, stay strong. We're getting you back in there. We're going to get our freedom back. We should be back with some more episodes soon. So until then, be happy, be healthy, and happy drinking. Ciao.